Welcome to the Sozo Church Podcast. Our desire is to see every person know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Enjoy. If you have your Bibles, why don't you go with me over to 1 Samuel chapter number 17. I do want to just tell tell all the ladies. Where are all the ladies at? Ladies, you're here in the house? Got some ladies? Hey, save the date. October the 27th is going to be our very first women's event, and uh, so I'm excited. Jen's been planning it with some of the team, and uh, it's going to be great. Fellas, we'll have our day. We're going to have our day. We're going to barbecue or chill. Last time we did a men's event, we tried to climb Mount Tam, and I almost died. Uh, We'll never do that again, but I promise you women, you're not going to be climbing a mountain, but you will be doing something really fun, so save the day, October 27th. You'll hear us talk more about that, but uh, 1 Samuel chapter number 17 is where we're going to go. And then I'll read a few other verses. I just want to share something just to be candid with you. This is something that God's just kind of working in my own heart. Something that God's teaching me and uh, massaging into my own heart. This isn't just like something that I planned a long time ago to speak on. Literally, this is something this week that God started really speaking to my heart. As a matter of fact, I was supposed to share uh, in our You Asked For It collection of talks. But I just said, you know what, I'm not going to do that today. I just want to speak something that God's speaking to me right now. How many you say, we give you permission, Pastor, you can, you can do that. You can just kind of share what God's speaking to you. And so it may come out a little bit raw. It may come out a little bit unorganized, but that's okay because I believe that God's going to speak to every single one of our hearts. Uh, but 1 Samuel chapter 17, just to give you a little backdrop before we read it. Uh, This is that really famous story uh, many of you, you probably read about. Even if you haven't grown up in church, you've probably uh, seen this, uh, an animation of this, or you've heard people tell the story of David and Goliath. How many of you you love that story, David and Goliath? Probably one of my favorite stories. I love it. Growing up, um, my brother and I, we would would pretend like we were David and Goliath, and he was a little bit bigger than me, uh, so I always won. I'm just saying. Uh, So I loved it. But um, David and Goliath, this, this story here, is, is pretty brilliant. Just, just so you know, um, this, was, this, this took place down in the Valley of Elah. Jennifer and I have actually been there before in Israel. There's literally two, two hills on the right and on the left, and there's a valley in between it. And, and at, that, at this particular time in the story, the children of Israel, the army of Israel, led by King Saul, they're on one hillside, and the Philistine army is on another hillside. And for 40 days, 40 in the Bible is a number of testing, for 40 days, this giant man, this giant warrior on the Philistine side uh, named Goliath, he would, he would walk out into that valley and he would just yell insults towards the people of God about them and about their God. For 40 days, he would taunt them and he would mock them and he'd tell them um, how they were worthless and how, you know, that, that their God was worthless. And, and he would dare them every single day. He'd dare them, just send me one man, send me one warrior. I'll fight him. I'll take him down. And this just kept going on day after day after day. And what you may not know is that David, he actually was just, he was in solitude out on a sheep field somewhere out in the middle of the wilderness. And all of his brothers, they, they were here um, on one hillside, the hillside, hillside where the Israeli army was, in fear, all of them paralyzed by this giant that they were facing. And one day David's uh, dad comes to him, Jesse, and he says, David, I want you to go bring your brothers some cheese and bread. This is the original like pizza delivery right here, okay? And uh, church joke, uh, anyway. Um, and so, gosh, help me here, people. Um, and so, so David's out on delivery, right? And he's bringing this, this, this bread and this cheese to his brothers. And this particular day when he gets out there, and this is, think about this, this is a young man. Just, just a young man that's been a shepherd in solitude. I mean, he has no friends. His brothers don't even really like him. 
His dad doesn't think he's anything special. This is a guy, his best friends are sheep. Like he just hangs out with sheep, okay? And he shows up with bread and cheese to this battle. And as he's walking out there to just serve his brothers, um, he sees this giant out there walking back and forth, clowning on this army, making fun of God, making fun of the children of Israel. And David's disturbed by it. This young man is just like, who is this fool out here talking about my God? I love that. I love the confidence and the courage of this young man. Everyone else, they're cowards. But David's like, this should be different. This should not be like this. Why is someone not doing something about this? I just pray that our church would be like that with things like human trafficking, that we would see giants in the land. and We'd say, we're not going to let this happen on our watch. I haven't even read the Bible yet. I'm just starting to preach. That's so good. And so David gets out there, and it's just, it's messing with him. So he starts talking to his brothers and some of the other military guys about this. He's like, guys, who is this fool out here that is talking about my God like this? Who is this guy? And they start telling him who it is. And so David says, you know what, I'm, I'm going to take this, this guy out. I'm going to kill this guy. His brothers think he's crazy. Everyone there is probably laughing at him. Like, look how big Goliath is, and look at you, David. Like, pat him on the head, call him buddy, right? That's what you do to people. It's like, and so, hey, buddy, like, just go home, you know. Bring your cheese and bread home. And David, he's just like, no, I, I just think that something needs to be done about this. And Saul, King Saul, the leader of the Israeli army, hears about this. He sends for David. He says, bring this young man to me. So David goes in front of Saul. And in front of Saul, he just begins to talk about what he's going to do to this giant. And I just imagine Saul kind of snickering a little bit, looking at this young man, and, and just thinking, like, you don't have any weapons. You have no armor. You have nothing. You're just this little man with cheese and bread. And there's a giant out there that our entire military won't even go up against, and you're going to go up against him. And David starts kind of reminding himself and I think even recalling uh, this uh, to Saul saying, hey, listen, Saul, I, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but I may look small, um, but let me tell you what God has done through me. And he starts talking about how there was a time when I had to fight off a lion. There was a time when I had to fight off a bear. And he just starts talking about all these things that God has done through his life. And it's like this sense of courage and confidence rises up. It's not an arrogance. It's a confidence in God. And he says, I can do this. Just give me a go. Give me a shot at this. And Saul finally consents, and Saul says, okay, fine. I'm going to let you go, but I can't let you go like this. Probably because it was a poor representation of their army. Like, I can't just send a little boy out there with this sort of, like, tutu-looking like, thing on with a slingshot. Like, you don't look like you fit with our crew. You're a bad representation. So, so let, me, let me help you out a little bit. I want you to look like us, and I'm going to set you up so that you can, you can be successful, if that's even possible. And so Saul goes and grabs his own armor, and he grabs his own sword. Now, you didn't know this about Saul. The Bible tells us, when you look in previous chapters, that Saul was a really big man as well. David's this little guy. Saul's really big. So Saul takes his massive armor, his huge sword, his giant helmet, and he begins to place layer by layer on top of this little guy, David. It's a layer upon a layer upon a layer. And the Bible says that in this moment right here, David could not even handle it. I want you to read right here. This is what I want to pick up. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around. Get this mental picture. He tries walking around. I imagine him stumbling around because he was not used to them. And this is what he said. I cannot go in these. He said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Literally, he stripped down from these layers that Saul had put on him. Then he took his staff 
in his hand. And he chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward him. I love this. He's not scared at all. Look at the courage. Look at the bravery. Look at the confidence. David running out at him in the name of the Lord. David quickly toward the battle line met him, reaching into his bag and taking out a stone. By the way, he picked up five stones, only needed one. Look at this. It says, with the stone uh, out of his bag, he slung it and struck the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead. And he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone without a sword in his hand. He struck down the Philistine and he killed him. Oh, I love that. I love that. You know what? I I was thinking about this passage of scripture yesterday. I think that Saul's armor and Saul's sword represent the temptation to be something or someone we are not. It's also the temptation to live our life under the weight of someone else's expectations of who they think we should be. And and, and if we're not careful, we can live our life with a false self in bondage to, to, to what people say we should be or what we think we should be, wearing the expectations of other people, weighing us down. And let me tell you, you will never, ever step into your destiny and live out your call and, and, and live out everything that God's put you on this earth to be and to do if you're living in a false self, in this armor that you can place around yourself, being who maybe you think you should be in order to win people's approval or, or maybe acting a certain way so that people will, 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 will think that you're something amazing, you'll never be able to live in victory when you walk through life like that. I think one of the greatest defeats in our life is, is living out, living but never truly knowing who we really are. I'm telling you, David, in such an amazing way, I see it in this passage. David, after he's, he's, he's put on these layers, he's just stumbling around. And I imagine him just looking at Saul saying, this is ridiculous. This is not who I am. Just give me my rocks. Give me my sling. I know me. I've been by myself figuring things out in the middle of nowhere, just me and God. I've been worshiping with my heart. I've been picking up rocks. I've been slaying giants for a long time. I know who I am, and I know who God is. I don't need this. I don't need your armor. I don't need your sword. I have my God, and I, have the, I know the way that he's created me and he's made me to be. See, here's the thing. Unlike David, the, mass, the vast majority of us, We go to our graves without ever really knowing who we are. We unconsciously live someone else's life or at least someone else's expectations of us. I can't tell you how many people I talk to as a pastor that literally they just, they just don't know who they are. They're living out their their parents' expectations of them. They're living out some idea in their mind that if they'll be this certain way that They'll be successful, and they never truly know who they are, and they never live out who God has created them to be, and the world gets robbed of an expression of the glory of God. Too many people just don't know who they are. Doesn't matter how long you've been a follower of Jesus, you can easily forget who you are. You know what's interesting about this passage of Scripture is that that King Saul, King Saul was actually, he was from the tribe of Benjamin. There was 12 tribes in Israel. 
The, watch this. The tribe of Benjamin, they were called slingers. They were known to be like, almost like snipers with a slingshot. But, but Saul, is not, he was not known for being great with a slingshot. He would use a sword. And so God has to raise up another young man from a different tribe to kill a giant that Saul was meant to kill. Do you see what I'm saying? So David had to, David, God had to raise up someone else to be secure in, in, in who God is. And, and Saul couldn't even, like, he didn't even know who he was. He'd forgotten. Like, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. We are slingers. And he'd forgotten who he was. It doesn't matter how long you walk with the Lord. You can easily, listen, you can start layering on success or failure and forget who you really are. I believe that God wants us to know who we really are. What if we could strip off the layers of our false self and fully be who God has created us to be? How liberating would it be? How at peace could you and I be and how at rest in, in God and in our relationships around us could we be if we could just be true to who we are? Now listen, I'm not talking about having a terrible attitude and being judgmental and being like, well, this is just the way I am. That's, that's wrong, okay? I'm talking about just resting, just resting in the way God made you. You don't have to be me. I don't have to be you. Just rest in your grace. Be strong in your grace. Be strong in the way that God's wired you. Rest in who God says that you are. Imagine the impact that we could make. And so I'm going to talk to you for just a few moments today about this. This is my, kind of my title. It's, it's simply this, shedding the layers. Shedding the layers. I believe that, that God wants to stir up just a, a desire inside of you and I to shed the layers that we so easily allow to be placed on us, sometimes that we place on ourselves, and I believe that God wants us to find freedom. Part of the vision of our church is to help every person find freedom. I want you to be free from your false self so that you can be free to live truly the way that God has wired you and created you to be. Um, I've been reading a lot lately about uh, self-discovery and self-awareness because I believe we live in a generation right now that is so, uh, so unaware of their self. Like, it's like we're so narcissistic looking on social media and stuff, but we're really not aware about, about the reality of who we are. Um, and so I've been reading a lot about this, not, not to preach on it, but really just for my own self, because I really, I, I want to know who I really am so that I can really be all that God has called me and created me to be. And uh, in reading this, I got to tell you, uh, it's, it's, it's been painful. I just read a, through a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Oh my gosh, if you've never read the book, you need to get it. It's by a guy named Peter Scarzero. And it is like surgery. Every time you open it up, get ready for your heart to be opened up and for the Holy Spirit to slice you, you know. It's just, it's brutal. Um, I wrote down, church, I'm happy to report to you, I'm not crazy. I'm just human. I'm finding that out, okay? As I'm reading through this book, really, it's, it's helped me see some things in my own life that I hadn't seen before. Uh, for instance, the other day, we were in Dallas, Texas uh, at, this, at this church uh, gathering deal. And uh, I came downstairs, and I, I was doing my like, morning devotions that I, I like to do, you know, like to read the Bible and pray and stuff like that. And so I'm reading, and uh, I was finished. And I started to put my books, like my Bible and my journal, in my bag, but I didn't. And, and then I felt like the Holy Spirit was like, why didn't you put those in your bag? And I paused, because I was sitting in silence. I paused, and I realized that the reason I left them on the table is I was waiting for the boys, the fellows, to come down to see me being spiritual, to give a false image that I am someone spiritual. I don't know if you've ever done that. Like, I just told on myself, Okay. Is that God? What was that? <laughs> that was God confirming what I said. Thank you. Thank you. 
But I realized how easy it is. It doesn't matter if you're a pastor. It doesn't matter if you work at Reddit. It doesn't matter if you work as a teacher. It's so easy for us to, to, to put layers of some image around us to project something that we want other people to see. And we can be in bondage to our false self. Um, you know, I, I know you've probably wondered this before, uh, probably about your spouse or about your, your kids or a parent. But I wonder if you've ever, if you've ever wondered this, like, why, why do I act the way I act when I'm around a crowd of people? Why, why do I respond the way I respond when someone gives me criticism or feedback? Why, why do I think like that in moments like this? Like, have you ever wondered when you, when you do things, you're like, that, that makes, I feel awkward. That's not, that's your false self that you're running into. It's like, why, why, why did I say that? That's not me. Like, why did I drop that name right there? That, like, it, it's a false self. We do it. And we wonder, like, like, that's not me. Why did I do that? Why did I say that? What if you could figure out, like David, like how to be so secure in yourself? Uh, Peter Scazzaro said this. He says, true freedom, this is so good. True freedom comes when we no longer need to be special in other people's eyes because we know we are lovable and good enough in Jesus Christ. Isn't that good? I don't have to be special in your eyes. I'm special in his eyes. Like, what if you could get to that place? What if I could get to that place? Let me give you these, these two statements that I, I feel like are, are kind of necessities when it comes to, to, to really being, being your true self. Here's the first one. Write this down. You must know God that you may know yourself. I've, I'm convinced of this. This is not just because I'm a pastor. If I weren't a pastor, I, I would tell you this. You will never, you will never really know yourself outside of a relationship with knowing who God is. I mean, it's like trying to figure something out and you're, you're so, it's so complicated. And the, the, the creator of this creation you're dealing with walks up and says, do you need some help with that? That's what it is. When knowing God, it's like you get to know the creator as his creation, and he can help you figure things out. I love this, this scripture. We, we talk about this all the time as a church. It's probably one of the uh, ver- set of verses that have, we've used to build out, build out some of our vision. But Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says this. He says, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, look at this, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, so that you may know him better. He says, I, my prayer is that you have a spirit of revelation, a spirit of wisdom, so that you could, why? Not so you can just talk about theology. Not so that you can just sound spiritual. He's like, I want you to have a spirit of wisdom, a spirit of revelation, so you can know him better. So that you can know God intimately and personally. Not just some idea, not just some, some theology. We live in a city. Think about this. We live in a city that we pride ourselves in education. We have so many intellectual people, people way more smarter than me. I, even Christians are like, well, you know, if you can't do, explain this and this. I'm like, I can't explain all that. But I tell you what, I know Jesus. And I don't know what we'd rather. Do you, would you rather? It's not that it's bad to be smart. Listen, I love, I'm an, I love to study. I love to learn. But more than just knowledge, more than just theology, I want Jesus. I want to know him. I want to know who God is. You can, get a, you, you can just get a commentary and you can memorize and regurgitate theology. But do you know Jesus? Do you know God? I want to know him. I want our church to know God. Because, listen, if you can know God personally, you can start to know yourself. He will start showing you things. You can study theology out of a book and never truly know who you are. But I tell you what, you get with Jesus, 
Hey. You start getting in the presence of God. He starts, watch this. He's so good. He gives you a spirit of wisdom. He starts revealing who he is. And then he starts revealing who you are. That's where your identity comes from. If you don't get your identity from knowing him, you're going to get it from somewhere else. And you're going to always live in the shell of a false self. It's like, God, we want to know you. He goes on, he says that that you would know him um, so that you may know him better. And then he goes on, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Revelation again. In order that you, look at this, that you may know the hope to which he has called you. So it's as if Paul's saying, I think that if you'll start knowing him, you're going to start knowing some things about yourself as well. I believe that's what he's trying to say there. I I think about my own journey. I was so confused uh, before I came to faith in Christ that um, I actually would find happiness in hurting people. I, I was a leader. I, I mean, I, I had the gift of influencing people, but I would influence them down a destructive path. And I thought I was like, that was life. I was so confused. I was so messed up. And then I came to faith in Christ, and I started to know God. Then I started to realize I, I am a leader, but it's to lead people in a positive direction towards Jesus. And I started finding actual fulfillment, not just happiness, but fulfillment in that. And the more I got to know God, the more I got to know myself. Here's a sec- second statement you got to know. I think it's equally as, as important. You, not only you must know God that you may know yourself, you must know yourself that you may know God. Now, now let me explain this to you for just a moment. I mean, the low-hanging fruit on this one is this, is you got to know that you're a sinner in order to confess that you're a sinner so that you may know God. That's low-hanging fruit. But I'm, I'm telling you that I've read enough in church history to know that this is, this is something that, that every great theologian they came to this conclusion. Let me just read you a few people. Augustine, this is Augustine in AD 500. He said this, how can you draw close to God when you are far from yourself? Watch this. You can't even draw close to God in your false self because you can't even, God doesn't relate with the false you. How, how, do, we, how do we get to know God if we're, our whole approach is, is hypocrisy? Like we can never know him. And, and, and so the more that we know ourselves, then we can approach him in our true self. And the more revelation he gives us, gives us, gives us, gives, gives, thank you, Jesus, gives us. I'm so excited I can't even get all my words out. It's like so fired up. How can you draw close to God when you're far from yourself? Look at this. Uh, Teresa, not here, but Teresa of Avila said this. Almost all problems in the spiritual life stem from a lack of self-knowledge. If that's not enough for you, I mean, if you're a Calvinist here, reform person, and you're into that kind of stuff, uh, John Calvin, look what he said. I mean, he underscored the absolute necessity of accurate self-knowledge to knowing God. In the opening pages, opening pages of his monumental work, Institutes of the Christian Religion, here's what he said in 1530. Calvin wrote, our wisdom consists almost entirely of two parts, knowledge of God and knowledge of ourselves. Calvin argued that one could not truly know God without knowing oneself and that one could not truly know oneself without knowing God. Here's my conclusion with this is the more fully I know God, the more fully I can know myself. And the more fully I know myself, the more fully I can know God. See, David that we read about earlier that approaches this battle with such confidence, clarity about who he is, I, I believe that David, he, he found something at a young age. It, it doesn't matter if you're here today and you're young. Uh, 
it doesn't matter how old you are, you can discover this secret. And David knew it. Look, look at one of the things that David wrote in one of the songs that he wrote in Psalm. Psalm 139. He said this, his value of self-knowledge. He said this, search me, O God, and know my heart. Let me pause right there. God already knows him. God's omniscient. He knows everything. That's not why David's saying this. David's inviting him on a search with him to show him something. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Look at this. Point out anything in me that offends you. He's like, just point it out, God. If there's something I don't see, if there's a blind spot, if there's a, a false self that I'm projecting there, God, just point it out. Show me. You search. You probe my life and point it out. Show me. If I'm not seeing this because I don't, wanna, I don't want anything in me to be offensive to you. I don't want to be living some false, fake life offending you, offending you, God. You know, anything outside of God's definition, design, or desire for your life is offensive. It's offensive. And he says this. He says, man, lead me, Lord along the path of everlasting life, everlasting life. I love that. Search me. Probe my life. Point things out. Okay, so what's a good starting point? Let me get practical with you. I want to share with you, this is one thing I've been doing the last couple of weeks. If you want to know if there's any, any false self that you're living in, in bondage to, here's a, a good starting point. I'm going to be extremely practical here. Write this down. You need to identify the patterns in your life that hinder or hurt your relationships. I tell you what, you, you want to know if, if, if there's, a, there's some false self, some layers on your life that are not pleasing to God and it is not true to yourself? Listen, if it's, if it's breaking down your relationships, if it's affecting, if it's hurting or hindering uh, your friendships, your family, your spouse, your coworkers, uh, if it's affecting your relationship with God, listen, I can tell you this, God wants your relationships to flourish. So anything that's a pattern that you're seeing around you where, where there's something you're doing that is hindering those relationships, you know that's not, that's not the true you that God wants you to be. This is like dashboard on your car, flashing light, check engine. That's, this is it. This is the dashboard. Why? How do I know it? Because, watch this, the problems in our life, they really get highlighted when you get around other people. Like if you lived on an island by yourself, you would be perfect. Because you have no sandpaper. You have nothing to rub out all the problems and the drama that you have in your life. But as soon as you get on a team, as soon as you get in a marriage, hello. As soon as you get a job, you go ahead. Your insecurities will start coming out. Your defensiveness when someone gives you feedback will come out. Uh, your... your, your, your um, your spirit of offense, that layer of offense that you get when you see somebody post something on Instagram from the team when they went to lunch but they didn't invite you. Hello, that comes out too. You see, when you start seeing, it's the layer of rejection, the layer of, of fear, the layer of offense, the layer of anger, the layer of abuse, the layer of abandonment, the layer of manipulation, the layer of approval addiction, the layer of image maintenance. We can have those layers and they affect our relationship. I want to put this up on the screen. This is interesting. When Jennifer and I were in Israel for our 10th anniversary, we saw, uh, we saw a lot of these everywhere. I thought they were mountains uh, because it looks, like, it looks like a mountain, right? Or a hill or something. Um, this is actually man-made. This is a man-made hill. They're, they're everywhere all over, the, uh, all over the, the eastern part of the world. They're, they're, they're some of them hundreds, some of them thousands of years old. They're called a tell. T-E-L-L, a tell. Um, and I remember when they were talking to us about this, I was, like, I was like, where did that come from if it's, if it's not 
you know, a, a mountain that God made. Like, where did this come from? And th- this is some research that I found. This guy, Thomas Keating, um, he's a priest and an advocate for a contemplative prayer. Um, he, he starts talking about these, right, these tales right here. He compares God's work in us to a Middle, middle Eastern tale uh, or an archaeological site. A tale, listen to this, a tale is an archaeological mound that has been created over hundreds or even thousands of years by different civilizations that have settled in the same place. One civilization, one civilization rises, then falls, and another one builds on top of it. Tells, look at this, tells are civilizations built upon the refuse of previous civilizations. This one here is a tale of Bari uh, in modern-day Syria. Now listen to this. A group would settle on a mound, and a civil- civilization would be established. Then it would have another civilization built on top of it. These would happen for centuries. These layers of civilizations created the mound. This is what happens in our lives. Think about this. This is what happens in our lives. Layer upon layer, family upon family, generation upon generation, experience upon experience, we become a mound of layers. And so he says, Keating says, he says, the Holy Spirit is like a divine archaeologist digging through the layers of our lives. The work of the Spirit is to dig through the layers, to help us discover things in the process that give us insight into who we truly are and why we are the way that we are. This this spiritual excavation reveals to us our true self, who God created us to be, and our false self, who who we are not, but we often feel pressured to be. Also, there are discoveries along the way that are not bad, but are good values that have shaped us these are things to keep, to hold on to. Ultimately, the Spirit of God wants to give us, uh, give us these things to keep, to hold on to, but also to, build a, to strip us down to the foundation of who he's created us to be, to get us away from our false self so we can build a new life, his life, a new civilization, a new way of being based upon our true self as a person secure in Jesus Christ. Isn't that great? He says this. They're going to put this on the screen. Take a picture with your phone because it's so good. Uh, Thomas Keating said, The Spirit intends to investigate our whole life history, layer by layer, throwing out the junk and preserving the values we are appro- that are appropriate to each stage of our human development. Eventually, the spirit begins to dig into the bedrock of our earliest emotional life. Hence, as we progress toward the center where God is actually waiting for us. He's waiting at that place, all those layers deep. God is waiting there for us. We natu- we're naturally going to feel that uh, things are getting worse. Isn't that true? You ever been to counseling before? This warns us that the spiritual journey is not a success story or a career move. It's rather a series of humiliations of the false self. That's unbelievable. Listen to me. My goal today, as I begin to wrap up, is not to unearth uh, with a message something that has happened and been layering in your life for a long time. I really felt like my mission today was just to stir up in you a desire Stir up in, in you this desire to like strip off those layers and to get down to the real you. And for every one of you, it may look a little bit different, but I will, I will give you three thoughts right here as I conclude. This is what I've been doing as I've been stripping off the layers. The first one is this. All right, let me, let me, let me, let me quote this really quick. I can't say this guy's name. It's like in Greek, it's like tells of Malitas. I don't know. But this ancient philosopher I read this morning, I actually found this this morning. He says this, what is, they asked him, they said, what is the most difficult thing to know? This is what he answered, thyself. This is a philosopher. He's like, the most difficult thing to know is thyself. It's difficult. How can we know ourselves? Here's the first one I've been learning and I'm loving it. 
is through prayer. We can know ourselves through our prayers. Now, now this is more than just like you're pacing and you're interceding for the nations. This isn't what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about walking around and you're praying for other people. I'm talking about sitting in solitude and in silence. Not praying, just filling the space. You know, a lot of times we can pray with our lips, filling the space, and we never see who God really is or who we are. We're distracted by the noise. And we live in a generation of culture. We don't like silence. Listen, I don't like it. I flip out at church. You can ask our team. I flip out whenever in the foyer when you're all walking in. There's no music out there. I'm like, guys, there's no music. There's no music. Get some music in here. I walk into a cafeteria or restaurant. There's no music. Oh, my gosh. I need medication. It's just, I need music. I need the space filled. That's why he's up here playing the keys right now. I need some, some background music. He actually lives at my house. He stands in the corner of the living room just playing. I imagine David at times, I imagine David at times letting those sheep kind of roam over there, him setting his staff down, laying his heart down and just sitting there and looking out at the pastures by himself, solitude. I imagine he didn't always sing. He's known to be a singer, but I, I think we should know him also for his silence. Psalm 37, he said this, hey, be still before the Lord. What a charge for our culture. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. A lot of times we never experience the presence of God because we're in a rush or we're just not still. He says, be still. I love in the Passion Translation, he says, quiet your heart. Have you ever noticed when your heart is just like, it's like an internal murmurer, never stops. So distracted. He says, quiet your own heart. Listen, that's our responsibility, not God's. Be still, quiet your heart in his presence and pray. Psalm 46, David said it like this, be still and know that I am God. A lot of people don't know God because they don't know how to be still. We don't know ourselves because we can't sit still. This is an ADD, ADHD, A through Z preacher up here preaching to you. I'm preaching to myself right now, okay? I get it, but I'm learning. There's something so powerful. Go and look at Jesus' life, how often he'd break away by himself and just sit still in the silence, in those moments. I'm, I've, been, I've been doing this lately. At the beginning of my devotions, I don't open anything up. I'll light a candle or I turn down the light real low and I'll sit there for two minutes in the silence. I'll close my eyes and I'll, I'll pray in my mind one prayer, come Holy Spirit. And I'll just sit there. It's, it's deafening, okay? It's so hard to do. But it's amazing what God's been showing me about himself and about myself as I've been doing that. Here's my, here's my charge to you. Just try it today. Get alone. If you have kids, parents take turns. You watch the kids. I'm going to, I'm going, pastor told me to go to solitude. I'm going to solitude. And they're taking a bubble bath, chilling, you know, like, solitude. You know what I'm saying? That ain't solitude. Just be still. Henry Nouwen said this, solitude is the furnace of transformation. Without solitude, we remain victims of society and continue to be entangled in the illusions of the false self. Jesus himself entered into this furnace of solitude. There he was tempted with the three compulsions of this world to be relevant, to be spectacular, and to be powerful. Since there he affirmed God the Father as the only source of his identity. 
Solitude is the place of the great struggle and the great encounter. Look at that, the great encounter with the loving God who offers himself as the substance of the true self. In solitude, I get rid of my scaffolding. Oh, I love that. No friends to talk with, no phone calls to make. The task is to preserve or to persevere in my solitude, to stay in my cell until all my seductive visitors get tired of pounding on my door and leave me alone. Solitude. It's through prayer. Second one is through people. You wanna know yourself? God's put people around you that you just need to lean into and, and say, hey, is there something you see in me that I don't see? Is there a pattern you see in my life that am, am, I, am I being destructive in my own life or, or even in my relationship? Do you see something that I don't see? Psalm 27, wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. You need some friends that will wound you to heal you. You need some friends that will tell you the truth. And the last one is, here's how you can know yourself through your past. Now listen, I'm not telling you you need to dig up things from your past. That's, that, that can be bad. You can, you can start living in your past. But we do sometimes have to understand that you have to go back if you're gonna go forward. Sometimes people, I see people striving in their faith, trying to go forward with a life, but they refuse to go back and to dig up some things to allow God to speak to them and show them why they are the way that they are. Sometimes you gotta go back if you're gonna go forward. The only reason we dig up the past is to learn from it, not to live in it. And your layers, if you'll confront them, the layers of your life, they're learnings, if you allow the Holy Spirit to show you. Um, I was thinking about this earlier. I was in Montana this past week, or last week, and in Montana, uh, we were on a reservation area, it was 300,000 acres. And this guide, we were like fly fishing, this guide, was, I know I don't like a fly fisherman, whatever. But uh, we were fly fishing and this guide uh, was leading my brother and I and we got lost, got off the path, we got lost in Montana in the middle of 300,000 acres with a quarter tank of gas and the dude gets a flat tire. And I fell asleep and when I woke up, I looked at my brother, my brother was frustrated and I said, Joey, what happened? How did we get here? And he said, well, the guide got off the path. I said, well, what is the plan moving forward? Because I don't want to die in Montana. I've got to call a God on my life. I've got a mandate, you know, <laughs> whatever. And uh, the guide said, if we want to get out of here, we got to go back to the path that got us here, and we'll find our way out. He's like, we just have to go back to the path that got us here, and then we can move forward from here. And I just want to tell you that some of you, you're trying to get out of something, you can't get out of it, like the false self that you've created around you. You're, you may have to go back to go forward. You may have to go back to some things in your childhood to go forward, some emotional things that have to go forward in your life. I couldn't put my kids to bed the first year that they were born, and I didn't know why. I, I, I talked to a counselor, and he said, you have a fear. I was like, yeah, I'm afraid that my kids are going to die on my watch, and my wife's going to kill me. Like, I'm going to put them to sleep, they're going to die, and then my wife's going to kill me. Okay, that's what my fear is. And they go, that's irrational. And I'm like, I know what it sounds like. It sounds terrible. But I legitimately had a fear. And he said, do you have any other fears? I said, I have a fear that I'm going to be unfaithful to my wife. I have a fear that I'm going to, uh, to fail as a pastor and let my church down or let the church down that I'm a part of. And I have a fear that I'm going to fail my kids. He said, you need to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal those layers that you've, you've put on your life. I prayed about it and the Lord showed me. Watch this, my dad was unfaithful. My dad failed his kids and my dad failed his church. I had a fear that I'd be like my father. 
And I had to go back to that place and say, you know what? I don't have to be afraid. Listen, the cross broke the curse so that I could break the cycle. You can't break the cycle unless you identify the cycle. Now, one of my favorite things to do is to put my kids to bed at night. I love it. But I had to go back so I could go forward. I'm done. Let me pray for you. Father, we love you so much. God, I thank you for your word today. I thank you for just the simplicity of these thoughts, just trying to navigate through this, even for myself. I want to be the person you've created me to be. I know every person in here, that's what they want too. They don't want to be some false, fake person living out someone else's expectations of them. God, the only expectations that are worth living for are your expectations of us. And you give us the grace to live up to those. You help us navigate through those things. God, I pray that we would we would be led by the Holy Spirit in, in just coming, coming to terms with those layers in our life and that we would shed those things, get those things off of us, man-pleasing, pride, insecurity, emotional brokenness, all that stuff, it clouds the way, we, the way that we view you, the way that we view other people. And God, I don't want that for my life, for anyone in our church's life. I know that's not, people don't, they don't want that. They don't want their life to be controlled by this false self. God, I pray that you would show them that it's really, it's only going to happen if they get serious about, I want to know you, God, but also I want to know myself so that I can relate to you in a healthy way and I can relate to other people in a healthy way. God, that's where true victory is at. The only reason that's possible is because there was, a, there was one that came that, that fought a bigger giant than Goliath. See, David's just this prophetic picture of another, another one that would come, Jesus, who would face the greatest giant, sin, death, decay, hell, and he slayed that giant so that we could walk in victory to be the true person that you've called us to be. Thanks for listening. Join us each week on the podcast or live in San Francisco, California. Keep up with life at Sozo Church by following at Sozo Church SF on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a great day.